Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 33 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. My name is Jack Tate and I'm back again with, unfortunately, another downbeat episode after a thoroughly disappointing 2-1 defeat against Wolves at Molyneux in the FA Cup quarter-final as United's best chance of silverware this season goes up in flames at the hands of Wolves. It was, without a doubt, the worst performance under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer so far, a fact that he was very keen to point out after the game himself. So in this episode, I'll be taking you through my reaction to the game, as well as looking ahead to what we can expect after the, after the international break that will follow this game. So after remaining undefeated domestically for almost three months into his reign, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has now suffered back-to-back defeats as United manager. First Arsenal last weekend, which we of course went through in the last episode, and now against Wolves on Saturday night. The Wolves game was a far more disappointing defeat, not just because it has a far more direct impact, obviously, on on our season in terms of knocking us out of, of the FA Cup, which was without a doubt our best chance of silverware, and now our chances of winning anything this year are in serious, serious doubt. The only competition... We have any hope in now is the Champions League and obviously that looks like a a big long shot. So the FA Cup represented a really important competition for us. Solskjaer has spoken himself about the importance of winning trophies at United and his desire to to win a trophy um, this season. And now obviously that chance has pretty much gone. Uh, I'm being very pessimistic about our our Champions League chances, partly due to who we we got drawn against, which I'll obviously come on to later. Uh, But this Wolves defeat was... Really, really disappointing. Not just because of the defeat, but because of the manner of the performance. As I said last week, the Arsenal game was tough a tough pill to swallow because although we didn't play brilliantly, we definitely weren't our best. We did enough in the game to, to win or at least get a draw out of the game. We created a lot of chances. And if it wasn't for some poor finishing by our forwards, we definitely could have come out, out of the game at least with a point and if not, if not a win. But against Wolves on Saturday night, we were... I mean, there's no other way to put it. We were awful. We were simply awful. We sort of seemed to harness everything that was bad about the Jose Mourinho era at United 
and put it on display once again for all the fans at Molyneux because on the ball, we were dreadful. We were so slow going forward. Every single attack was very, very predictable. It was trying to find passes that were either way too obvious or just simply weren't there. We would be patient for some spells where we'd be passing the ball around the back through the midfield. Maybe one of the the front three would drop off to try and get involved and we'd end up just forcing something because Wolves were playing very compact, obviously playing their their five at the back system, which that worked very, very well for them. We just couldn't get anything going all day. I think Rashford's consolation goal in, in, the, in stoppage time at the end of the game was only our second shot on target in the whole game. I mean, two shots on target. That is just dreadful. There's no other way of putting that. It's unacceptable for any team in an FA Cup quarterfinal to have two shots on target, let alone Manchester United, who went into the game as most people's favourites. I mean, I said last episode that I was very nervous going into the game, and I was. I, I thought it was going to be a very tight game, but I, I still had us as, as favourites, as did most people going into the game. To walk out of Molyneux with two shots on target in 95 minutes is, quite frankly, disgraceful. This, this might sound like I'm being very harsh on the team, and I am. And partly that is because of the standards that we've set in the last couple of months and how high everyone's expectations have gone. But I would have I would have been extremely, extremely annoyed at this performance, even if it had happened under Mourinho. This was exactly the kind of performance that we all decided we'd had enough of. And these were the kind of performances that made us want to get rid of Mourinho. These were the performances that made us think that we didn't have a good enough team and that everything needed to change at the club. Obviously, we haven't had these performances for a couple of months. But that doesn't mean that when they come around, we shouldn't criticise them. And that was... A terrible performance against Wolves. Everything about it was, quite frankly, dreadful. Before I just go off on a rant, let me, I'll kind of work my way up the pitch in terms of my sort of review of the game. Start at the back. I mean, Sergio Romero is not really much to comment. He didn't really do too much wrong. I think he, he could have done, uh, he could have done better for the second goal, definitely. Um, but I mean, that goal is much more on, on Shaw than on him. Uh, and he made a couple of decent saves earlier on in the game. I mean, Sergio Romero hasn't really put a foot, foot wrong for us throughout his, what three, was it now, three seasons at, at United, maybe four seasons at, at United. And he, he definitely could have done better with the second goal. But he also probably saved us a goal in, in the first half when uh, I think it was Jota was running through and Romero had some really, really positive goalkeeping, came out to the edge of the box uh, and, and saved Jota's one-on-one. Moving into, into the defence, we, we looked all at sea all game. Coming off the Arsenal game where Lindelof had... For me, his worst performance of the season for United. Uh, he was a little bit better against Wolves, but still looked quite shaky. And the rest of the back four were very, very poor. Darlow and Chris Smalling defensively just didn't really seem to have much of a clue. They, they just seemed like there was a lack of coordination across the entire back four. They weren't moving properly as a unit. You know, Chris Smalling especially was was very, very quick to try and almost man Mark Jimenez whenever he drops into midfield, which is which is fine if Matic or Herrera are going to drop in to take your place, which often didn't happen and it, and it left us exposed at the back if, if Jimenez could you know, drop the ball off to either Moutinho or Neves and then there were balls flying in over the top uh, to either Jota or uh, Doherty on the other side. We were really, really struggling to try and contain contain Wolves. Every single time they came forward, they looked like they were, you know, they, they were capable of creating some very good chances and they did that. They had a, a string of corners in the first half, which always looked like a, an issue. Chris Smalling was very, very susceptible against Willy Bolly from pretty much every corner. It looked like there was a, a potential goal-scoring opportunity there for Wolves. And to be fair to Sergio Romero, having just criticised him for the second goal, 
he made a brilliant save from a corner. Uh, I can't remember, remember if it was from Bolly. I think it might have been from... Uh, it was a header from someone that he managed to just tip onto the bar at the start of the second half. And, and that was kind of the, the tale all, all day. Every time Wolves came forward, they looked very dangerous. The defence couldn't really seem to put a stop to anything. Luke Shaw was okay going forward, um, but again, defensively looked very shaky. And obviously, got a lot of the headlines for his part in that second goal, where not only did he very, very aimlessly just sort of loop a ball back towards the, the Wolves' penalty area as the ball was coming out from, from a corner of ours. But he then made a huge mistake trying to uh, defend the counter-attack that came from it, where, first of all, he wasn't looking at the ball properly when he had a chance to get it cleared, when there was a, a, a poor touch from Wolves in midfield. And then he just got completely out-muscled and, and out-manoeuvred. Uh, as Wolves were coming forward, ended up on his on his butt uh, on his backside on the ground, and obviously Wolves go on to score. It was a strange performance by Shaw. He was actually one of our only outlets going forward. He was the one that seemed to have a lot of space, uh, and it says a lot about how poorly everyone else played. That despite being one of the main reasons why we conceded the second goal, for me, he wasn't even one of our worst performers overall. The one criticism I, I would have of Shaw going forward is just that everything is, it was too predictable. It was too many times when him and Martial would be trying to combine down the left and nothing would, would be working. And they just kept trying to play the same the same type of game all day. And it wasn't until he made that driving run forward for Rashford's goal that we saw anything different. And the one time he tried it, it came off, albeit too little too late. And then moving on into, into midfield, where a lot of the headlines will be focused on Paul Pogba, uh, and rightly so, to be quite honest. Got the captaincy back against Wolves on Saturday night. Solskjaer putting his faith back into Pogba after what we all know happened at the start of the season, where Pogba was was given the captaincy and, and then stripped of it by Mourinho uh, after just a few games. On his return to the captaincy, Pogba completely almost made Mourinho look right, honestly, in some ways, and that's obviously a, a massive ex- exaggeration, but... He sort of vindicated the decision not to give him the captaincy for a long time because when we needed him to step up, especially in that second half when we could tell that we were not playing well, we weren't in a good rhythm, you know, Wolves were dominating, and especially once they went 1-0 up, where we really needed our captain to step up and sort of lead this team from the front like the player that he is, he wasn't able to do so. He did not step up. It was a, a really, really poor performance. On the ball, everything was too slow. Everything was very, very predictable. And then after sort of a few... A few uh, passes where everything was very slow, very predictable. We try and speed things up and either hit, hit Pogba, Martial, Rashford, Lingard weren't on the same wavelength or Pogba w- would be trying to force stuff when it, it just wasn't on and we'd end up losing the ball anyway. Herrera and Matic next to him, again, I mean, didn't didn't really do anything massively wrong in the game. But the fact that that's the only positive I have to say about them says a lot. On the ball, neither of them did any, did much to create anything Neither of them were particularly influential in us going forward. There was a couple of nice breaks from Herrera, but nothing that changed the game in any way. Matic, to me, still doesn't quite look match fit. I don't know if that's him just being rusty in, in bad form or if it actually is uh, sort of him struggling to, to come back from injury. But he still looks slightly off the pace. The game was, was bypassing him way too much for my liking. Balls into, into Jimenez were, were coming in with far too much ease. You know, when you're playing against a, a team that are playing five at the back, you should be able to have those extra numbers in midfield. And we did have that, and we just never never really made any use of them. You know, we were playing mainly against Moutinho and Neves, 
And we know that they are the distributors in that Wolves team. We know that they are the two players that you really have to be tight to whenever they're on the ball because they are the ones that really dictate what Wolves are doing going forward. And Matic and Herrera were just unable to get anywhere near them. And that would be okay if we they were instead trying to cut off the supply lines to Jimenez, to uh, Jota, to Doherty. And it just never happened. The whole game, there was far too much easy service going into Jimenez. And as I mentioned earlier, Smalling was getting dragged out of position, which was then leaving Lindelof isolated uh, in defence because none of the midfielders were dropping in to, to replace Smalling's positioning. It was just really, really poor all game. You know, Herrera and Matic weren't the worst defenders by any means, but they, they just didn't really have much of an influence on the game. And in games like this where you can tell that you're not playing well with the other team are being very compact, you need your midfielders to be able to have a little bit of something about them to be able to unlock that defence to try and just do something a little bit different. And it's up, it's up to the players sometimes, not just the manager, to be able to to respond to, to what we're seeing during the game. And we just never did. Even when Oli tried to change things, you know, brought on Pereira and eventually McTominay, made very little difference. I thought Pereira did okay. He was a little bit more dynamic going forward. And his movement is a little bit better than, than Herrera's. Obviously, very different players. Pereira is much more offensive-minded. And that kind of showed in some of his movement. But even even Pereira wasn't brilliant when he came on. The front three, I think, is where I really want to focus. Because that was one of the worst set of performances I can remember from a United front three this season. And that's saying a lot because we had some very, very poor performances from our from our forwards this season. You know, going all the way back to the, to the start of the season when we were struggling to score goals, playing really, really turgid football, just very, very boring games. And this ranks right up there as as some of the worst that we've seen. Rashford was off it all day. I don't know what it was on the ball. He, he everything looked scruffy. It was just it was just a slog the whole game. Nothing would seem to to come off for him, and his movement wasn't as good as as it usually is. He was coming deep very often, which is fine if Lingard and Martial are making the runs in behind, but they just won. Lingard was anonymous all day. He was very 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 rarely involved in any of our attacks. And again, ended up having to drop so deep to try and get on the ball that he wasn't able to really influence any of our any of our attacking play. Then you go over to Anthony Martial on the left. He was very, very poor. I, it may have been injury. It's now come out since the game that uh, Martial has actually withdrew from the French squad for this international break due to injury. So whether it was still injury kind of hampering him a little bit, I don't know. Um, but whatever it was, it was a very, very poor performance. And it was the, the thing that frustrates me about this performance by Martial is that it's the same problems every single week. I've said before on this podcast that as good as Martial is on the ball, his movement off the ball is really, really poor for a player who is as good as he is on the ball. And he really has to improve his movement if he wants to sort of move up to the next level uh, as, as a player. And against Wolves was a perfect example of why his movement is not good enough. He'd end up kind of just hugging the touchline without any real thought to it. And it was very, very easy for Wolves. Doherty just getting tight on him, then doubling up on him and Shaw. And there was just no joy down that left flank at all. And I was thinking uh, during the game, it, it's actually very, very rare that you see Martial get past a man when they actually get tight to him. You know, and I know that might seem a stupid thing to say. Of course, all wingers do better when they have space. But the best wingers are able to create something even when their, their marker is tight to them, even when they don't have much space. And it's very, very rare that you see Martial scoring goals or make, or creating assists, creating chances for others against these sort of deep blocks like Wolves are playing. The only time you really see him explode and, and play the way that we know he can is when teams push up a little bit more and he's able to score goals like he did against Fulham earlier on this season. 
It was a really, really poor performance by Martial. His movement was non-existent for the majority of the game. As I said before, him and Shaw were actually combining okay in terms of being able to get passes into each other, but it was all very, very predictable. There was no no change in it all game. And the only time we saw them do anything different was for Shaw's run when he came, in, came inside and managed to drive forward to the Wolves box and provide Rashford's goal. So that kind of sums up my take on the game in terms of individual performances. As you can see, very few positives, which I'm sure will surprise absolutely no one. It, it was just really a, a very, very poor performance overall from everyone. And I mean, before I, I sort of move away from this game, I, would, I do want to give some credit to Wolves because, as I said on the last pod, they have done brilliantly this season. Nuno has done such a good job. You know, they spent the money in the summer, yes, but Fulham are an example of another team that have spent a lot of money. There have been teams in the past that spent a ton after coming up from the championship and have never made it work. But, you know, credit to Wolves. They've done a fantastic job, made really, really good signings. Nuno has done a great job this season. And they're, they're a tough side to beat. That doesn't excuse our performance in any way because we were a shambles for a lot of the game. But I, I didn't, didn't feel like I could do this this episode without giving some credit to Wolves because they have been a joy to watch for the majority of the season. But to get back to United, I think it's worth just talking for a few minutes about sort of the, the big picture of where we are in the season. Some of the reaction from, from fans to going out in the FA Cup and to that really poor performance. A lot of the talk has been, of course, centred around whether these last two games change much in terms of whether Solskjaer should get the job. For me, they don't. For me, it, as as Harry and I have been saying ever since Solskjaer took over, we shouldn't even be talking about it at this point because it, it's still over two months away when that decision has to be made. And yes, there are tons of people who have de- been, who have decided for over a month now that Solskjaer has to get the job, whatever happens. And those same people are now deciding that after two bad games, actually, maybe he isn't the right manager and we need to get someone who's more experienced, the true top-level manager, quote in, in quotation marks. So, it, 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 like Harry and I have been saying, it's kind of an irrelevant conversation at this point. There's still so much, so much time left in the season. Why, why were we in such a rush as fans to to try and you know have sort such a definite answer on whether or not he'll be here next season when there's still two or two three months to go in the season? People were trying to make this decision back at, at the end of January after you know seven or eight games of, of Solskjaer being in charge, and it it was just a ridiculous even attempt to to try and claim like we we have any idea of what's going on at the end of the day at this point we don't need to be making any decisions we still have so many massive games to come it's it's almost as if people want to make a decision now as to whether he should stay or stay or go and quite frankly that's stupid to even try and be making a decision yet there is no need for our, for us to make a decision in march when the season ends in the middle of may we still have so many important games to go at this point in the season, we could win every single game, finish third, win the Champions League, and we'd all be calling Solskjaer a hero. Or we might hit some really bad form, end up finishing sixth, go out in the next round of the Champions League, and everyone would be calling for his head again. It's just so many examples of, of football fans, and it seems like United fans specifically at the moment, just being so, so fickle over what is happening with Solskjaer. You know, now everyone's saying, well, over this honeymoon period, he's going to get found out. He's not a good enough manager, blah, blah, blah. When three weeks ago, he was the best thing since sliced bread. It's just kind of, it's boring at this point. You know, we've been having this debate for the last month or so. And at no point has it actually been a relevant debate. There's no need to be having this discussion now. You know, we, like, as I've said, we have so much time left in the season, so many important games to come. There is no point in us debating whether Solskjaer should stay or go because he's only halfway through the job. 
he got from December until the end of the season, and we're we're pretty much a little bit over. We're pretty much halfway through that now. And as he said in his interview after the game, April and May is when United traditionally find their form. And for him, April and May is when he'll be, he'll be properly tested. Got massive games coming up, not just in terms of their context for the season, but in their own right. Obviously, now got Barcelona home and away in the Champions League. We still have big games coming up against other teams in the top six in the league. Most no- notably, uh, the derby against City. So many massive games to come. So we don't need to be rushing to make any decisions. It's just so frustrating to see so many fans trying to be so reactionary and create sort of a story or uh, I don't even know. I don't know if story is the right word. Just trying to create something out of nothing when we don't need to be talking about whether Solskjaer will stay or go yet. What we need to be talking about is the tactics that we used in this game when probably for the first time I'd say Solskjaer wasn't proactive enough at all during the game. He, he's been very, very willing to change his tactics generally in other games. and He wasn't against Wolves for, for whatever reason. We never even tried to change anything. So yeah, we, we of course should be talking about what Solskjaer's doing it, it, during the games and, and his team selection. But that should be it. We don't need to keep going on and repeating this whole, this whole sort of circus of oh, he's going to get the job, he's not going to get the job. Is, is that going to be it from now until the end of the season? Every time we have a good result, oh, he has to get the job. And every time we have a bad result, oh, he should be sacked. Bring Mourinho back, you know, bring Pochettino in at the end of the season. It's just going to be, it's just going to be a, a stupid debate that we're going to keep having. And really, at this point, it, it's just futile. We don't need to be talking about it. God, I feel like I've gone on so many rants already in this episode. But that is my, my Solskjaer rant over. He didn't do a good enough job against Wolves. Probably the first time this season that he's done a, a genuinely bad job managing a game, and now we'll see how we react. You know that that is ultimately the test of a of a top manager. As I tweeted out right after the game, every single manager in the world, I don't care if you're Pep Guardiola, if if you're Sean Dyche, whoever you might be, every single manager has bad days, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is no exception to that. the The way that top managers sort of separate themselves from the good managers is that they go back, they analyse what went wrong, they fix it, and they get their team motivated again to bounce back very quickly. And that is where we'll be tested after the international break. Now, moving on to the other big United news from this week is, of course, the Champions League draw. As I'm sure every one of you has already seen, we have been drawn against Barcelona in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Massive, massive tie. I mean, you can't really ask for any more in the quarterfinals of the Champions League to be playing against a team like Barcelona. Just the reward that we would have wanted after the PSG game. I, I think there was, there was a lot of mixed emotion after the draw was made because I think half of half of people were, were, were pretty happy. You know, why wouldn't we want to be playing a team like Barcelona? These are the kind of nights that we've been longing for at Old Trafford for a number of years now. There have been good nights since then and obviously the PSG night, it was a big build-up to it. All the fans were, were very, very excited and ended up kind of falling a little bit flat um, before the, the amazing comeback. But I think the Barcelona game is, is another level. Firstly, because obviously it's a quarterfinal, not a last 16 tie. Just ramps up everything about it even more. But also because you know we do have some recent history with Barcelona beating us in two finals in, in 2009 and 2011. They were the team we, we beat in the semifinals in 2008 to, on, on our run to the Champions League uh, trophy. And that game sticks in my mind so much, you know, of, of the most recent game against them at Old Trafford. Uh, Skulls is just incredible half volley uh, to take us through to the final. And there's going to be so much emotion on that night in the, at Old Trafford. There's so much that have gone into not just to getting us to this game, but also into the emotion of the whole night. 
it, it, it's going to be made even better by the fact of of how we got there. You know, having come through awful circumstances against PSG with that amazing comeback in the quarterfinal that we never expected to be in against arguably the best team in Europe at the moment, playing some amazing stuff. Messi just scored another hat trick at the weekend. He's he's at the top of his powers right now. Barca are completely dominating La Liga, and it's just going to be an amazing night. So that that was sort of one one half of the reaction of just can't wait for this game. The other half of the reaction was you couldn't couldn't we have got a little bit of an easier an easier tie? Um, you know, Porto, Ajax, one of those teams would have been a little bit of an easier an easier uh, game and potentially a, an easier route into the semi final. And I do understand that sentiment, especially when when you see Liverpool drawing drawing Porto in the quarterfinal to continue their run of insanely easy uh, Champions League knockout draws. Although they did have a have a tough group to come through, to be fair. And, and I do understand that sentiment of you know I want an easier draw, but at the end of the day, you're not in the Champions League to play easy teams. If we wanted to play easy teams, we should be in the Europa League and we should be trying to to win that again, like we did a couple of years ago. You know, that's not that's not why I want us to be in the Champions League. I want to be in the Champions League to play teams like Barcelona, to play teams like PSG, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Juventus, you know. These are the kind of nights you have to long for as a United fan. They don't come around all that often. Even when you're in the Champions League every year, there's no guarantee you're going to be playing teams like Barcelona every every single year. But that is why you're in the Champions League. You're kind of chasing these games. And so, yeah, I do understand why some people were a little bit annoyed. But at the end of the day... This is exactly why I want us to be in the Champions League. These are the kind of nights that I will remember when I'm 50, 60 years old and you know, trying to remember games that this United team played. It is games like this in the Champions League against Barcelona that I'm going to remember for a long, long time, regardless of, of, of the outcome, because they don't come along all that often. You know, It's been, what, eight years since I think, I think I'm pretty sure we haven't played Barcelona in a competitive game since that 2011 final. It, they don't come around that often and we have to enjoy them when they do. So yeah, I... It was a little bit frustrating to see, you know, Liverpool getting such an easy draw and us getting potentially the hardest team left. Definitely one of the hardest teams left. But I can't wait. I cannot wait for Barcelona to come. You know, I when we're massive underdogs, but we're massive underdogs against PSG as well. And even if we can't pull out a win, just that occasion is going to be something else. Old Trafford is going to be absolutely rocking, and I can't wait. I can't wait to see what we what we're able to do against a team. I think should be the favourites for the Champions League based on how they're playing domestically right now. Messi is on another level to anyone else in the, on, on the planet at, at this moment. Like I said, scored another hat-trick at the weekend with a couple of insane finishes. And I can't wait. I can't wait to try and get our revenge from, from those two finals because I never kind of lived that down. It was awful watching us get, to be honest, totally outplayed in, in 2009 and 2011. And this is our chance of revenge. And I can't wait. I really, really cannot wait. Now let's move on to our youth loan and women's team roundup for this week. Again, there wasn't much action for United's loan players. Three were were in action. Joel Pereira was an unused sub again uh, for Courtrecht against Antwerp as they won 2-0. Joel Pereira's been kind of frustratingly on the bench for the vast majority of, of this season, so isn't really getting too much out of this loan spell at this point. Uh, James Wilson was a substitute for Aberdeen as they drew 1-1 with Livingston. Um, this week, having started the last couple of games, Wilson started on the bench and was only able to come on for a couple of minutes as he was brought on in the 88th minute as Aberdeen chased a late winner. And as I'm sure a lot of you saw, Timothy Fossey-Mensah started for Fulham against Liverpool. He ended up coming off for Christie in the 73rd minute as Fulham came oh so close to stopping Liverpool's title bid in its tracks. 
Um, played really, really well. Ryan Babel scoring against his former club, which would have been a brilliant way for Liverpool's title bid to, de- to be derailed before a James Milner penalty sealed a 2-1 victory for Liverpool over the Cottagers. Moving on to United's other teams. Uh, the first team weren't the only United side to be knocked out in the FA Cup quarterfinals this weekend as the women's team lost 3-2 to Reading in, their, in the women's FA Cup quarterfinals in truly heartbreaking fashion as Reading scored a late, late winner in stoppage time at the end of extra time after United has twice gone ahead during regular time. Truly just an awful way for um, United's women's team to go out in the FA Cup. But as I said last week, this has been a really positive cup run for them uh, and they still have a chance of, of winning the, the league. So hopefully the end of the season will will bring some silverware, even if it isn't in the FA Cup. But they've done really well and going out to Reading, a top flight women's side, is no disgrace at all. And then there was no game for the under-23s this weekend, but the under-18s were in action as they went up to Tyneside and beat Newcastle 3-1. Very good victory away from home uh, with Charlie McCann and Anthony Elanga getting on the score sheet and a very good performance for the under-18s. They now sit third in the table behind Chelsea and Derby and are just six points off Derby at the top. So still in with a shot of uh, finishing top in that league. They've just had a few too many draws this season, which has really stopped their momentum. Now, as I've mentioned already, there is an international break coming up this week. So there is no game for United this weekend. Um, So to finish off the episode, I'll just quickly run through a couple of questions that have come in from Twitter. So the first is from Colin or at Rojonaldo, who asks, how many signings do you think we can expect in the summer? Do you think we'll get enough and more importantly, the right players to actually challenge for the title next season? There's a few parts to that question. First of all, in terms of the amount of players, I'd be very surprised if there's more than four um, sort of real first team additions, people that we'd expect to start. There might be a few more than that in, in terms of squad players. But generally, even in our sort of big spending spree, we've shied away from signing tons of players, especially in the last couple of years. We were more susceptible to doing that under under Van Hal. And I think the the second half of this season has has shown that we do have at least the foundations of a, of a side that can challenge for the title, even if it's definitely not the finished article yet. In terms of whether I think we'll get the right players, I mean, it's it's tough. It's, it's hard to trust this board to, to do anything in the way that we want them to. And so I think it's really hard to say. I would expect us to target some specific areas, though. I think centre-back has to be a priority. It wouldn't surprise me to see us bring in another central, central midfielder uh, to add kind of a third a third body into that midfield alongside probably Matic and Pogba. As much as Herrera has done well and as much as I like Herrera, I'm not sure he's quite good enough to fill that role on a weekly basis in a a title-challenging team. I'd also expect us to be looking at bringing another winger, preferably a right winger, because we seem to have about seven left-wingers at the club and only one in Jesse Lingard who's comfortable playing on, on the right so I wouldn't be surprised to see us try and bring in a right winger. There's been links to, to Jaden Sancho in the last couple of weeks who would obviously be a brilliant fit. It, it is tough to say whether we're going to bring in the right players. There's so much still needs to happen. We don't even know who the manager's going to be yet, which will obviously dictate the kind of signings that we want to that we want to make. The only thing I hope is that whoever is the manager come the transfer window and the start of next season, they are able to target players who they think will actually fit into their system so often in the last few years, we've just been signing players almost based on their name value and because of their reputation without actually thinking about whether they'll fit into what our manager is trying to do at, at any different point. So that's really all I can hope for um, and we'll see what happens. But like I said, 
based on their track record, it is tough to have faith in this board to, to do the right thing. And the final question comes from David at dhealy529 on Twitter, who asks, can you give your thoughts on Matic in the squad? I feel as though we get way more out of McTominay in that spot. More energy, more physical and more passion all round. Like I said at, at the start of the episode, when I was sort of giving my, my take on the Wolves game, I definitely don't think Matic has, has hit form since coming back from injury. It has only been two games, granted, but against Arsenal, he was very, very poor. He was slightly better against Wolves, but still pretty ineffective. I, I think it, it was the kind of game, to be fair, that doesn't suit Matic's skill set very much because there was more onus on, on what he can do going forward in, in terms of trying to pass through the lines and, and get the ball quickly into the feet of our forwards. And, and that's never really been his forte. He didn't do much wrong, but he didn't do much right either. Hopefully the international break can give him some rest, although I expect him to be playing for Serbia. Hopefully at least one of those games he can be given a rest. It just seemed like he wasn't match fit against Arsenal and Wolves. I don't know if that actually is the case or if, if maybe he, you know, his, his legs are gone for the season. In terms of McTominay, it's, it, it, he's a tough one because he did so well while Matic was out injured. And it's, it seems harsh now not to be playing him again having done so well. I think he probably does deserve a run of games in the team. Matic hasn't done really anything to to warrant keeping McTominay out. And and McTominay did more than enough for me during those games. Matic was injured to to at least warrant giving him a go in the midfield. I think McTominay at this point is still a level below Matic. He's a lot less neat in his work on the ball. Defensively, you're right, he he does get stuck in. He is very physical. I don't think he reads the game as well as Matic, though. Um, And that is a big, big part of of playing as as a defensive midfielder. But I agree. I think he does probably deserve uh, deserve another shot at coming in and and at least trying to hold down that spot and also seeing if he might be a player that we can rely on in the future. I think most United fans at the moment don't rate McTominay that highly and kind of see him as a squad player at best going forward. But to be fair, we haven't ever really seen him have a run of games other than this little spell where Matic has been injured. So how do we really know? He's been shuffled around. He's played centre-back under Mourinho. He's played two different positions in midfield as either sort of a box-to-box or coming in as cover for Matic in that defensive midfield spot. So I think it is time we give him a run of games and and see what kind of player we really have on our hands here. Um, But I, I would say if we're picking our strongest 11 for me, Matic is still a level above McTominay when he's playing at his best. Now that is all we have time for on this episode of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Unfortunately, it has been two downbeat episodes in a row. It seems like Harry not being here has, has been a, a real bad luck charm. Although, as I'm sure most of you have seen on Twitter, he is finding United sit signs all over Bogota in Colombia uh, and is still managing to watch all of the games. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back next week after the international break to preview our upcoming games and to update you on any news that might have happened over that break. But for now, enjoy your weekend, enjoy the international break, and I'll be back next week. If you want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter is at UTDTate, T-A-I-T. And if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, you know, send in any questions that you have for any of the episodes or let us know any ideas that you might have for new segments that we can do, feel free to follow us on at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. And as always, please leave us a review on iTunes if you can. It really does help get the word out and help us know what you guys like and what we can improve on. Thank you all very much for listening. Have a great week. Enjoy the international break. Goodbye.
Smartcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.